Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to Unapologetically Different Podcast. I'm your co-host Key. And I'm your co-host Pierre. And we're in season two, episode 14. Wow. Yeah. It's going by quick. We made it past the, the bad luck episode, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> what was the bad luck episode? Episode number 13. 13 oh, 13's a bad luck number. I remember you told me that. I've seen enough scary movies. A whole lot. For whatever reason. Actually, not a lot. I'm more of a romantic comedy guy. So after the sunken place, you're done watching scary movies. <laughs> Jordan Peele's making it, I'll watch it. But <laughs> man, I, I like to cuddle up to some popcorn and some rom com. All right, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> the viewers want the viewers want to know. <laughs> Apparently, so we're gonna get into it. Um, so as you may know, um, a nationally ranked high school football player wore a shirt that read, "I hope I don't get killed for being black today." Um, to an Ohio State one-day football training camp. This kind of been circulating throughout the media. Um, I believe on the route, they had a picture of what he wore, and it was getting a lot of attention in regards to his shirt and how impactful it was. Yeah. Um, Cleveland Heights four-star defensive end Tyreek Smith is one of the most sought-after prospects in the country. In addition, uh, sorry, in addition to holding an offer from the Buckeyes, Programs such as Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Oregon, Penn State, Texas, UCLA, and USC are pulling out all the stops to get him to commit to their school. So even if you know nothing about college football, that's a lot of teams that are interested in this young man. And that's just that's big in itself. But needless to say, um, his shirt got a lot of attention because he's a 17-year-old athlete making a big political statement. Um, Smith also said in an interview, I decided to wear the shirt because I wanted to bring attention to the epidemic of blacks being killed at an alarming rate. Smith said, what we would like to do is have people talk about these issues to reduce the murder rate of African Americans. I think that's really fascinating. And the fact that he's starting off at a high school level and kind of being political in some in some aspects and kind of putting that out on the forefront, especially on like a very big day like this. Yeah. You know, he can be marginalized just for wearing a shirt like that where teams may be like, I don't even want him to join our team because, you know, this is going to be a controversy. It's going to be a bit of an issue. So he's a pre-Colin Kaepernick in yeah. a sense. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you actually mentioned Kaepernick. Because I, I do find this interesting that he's so young, he's in high school, and he's making a big statement like that by wearing a shirt like that. Knowing obviously he's going to get some support, but really get a lot of backlash as well. Um, I think this goes back to what I said in some of one of our previous episodes. If you have talent and people want you, it doesn't matter. Like you, you can get away with more things when you're just that good. And... This guy, he's one of the top-ranked recruits in the country. And, like, as you heard from that list, a lot of big-name school want him. So I just, I think that's interesting. Like, what's going to happen? Like, will this affect his, like, how sought-after he is? And because going away to play for, play at school for college, you don't get paid to do that. So I wonder how this would affect him potentially going to the NFL. But if he if he's able to keep up, the good work that he's done in high school to gain this much attention, it would be interesting to see what his prospect would be for becoming an NFL player, especially with like all the stuff that's happening with Calvin Kaepernick. Um, so one thing 
I want to point out is that the shirt was actually created by Tyreek's older brother, Malik. And what I find interesting about the shirt is that it addresses not only police brutality, but black on black violence. Um, Tyreek's older brother, Malik, who designed the shirt, had this to say. A lot of friends close to me were killed. I got to thinking, am I next? So I decided to put it on a t-shirt. Some people think it's just about the police, but it says nothing about the police. It's some brutality and some black-on-black -black issues which we're having. Murder rates are skyrocketing. Every time I leave my house, I think, am I going to be the next one to lose my life? So, yeah, there was That's a... That's powerful. Yeah, there was a lot there. Just And the fact that they're cognizant within their age group of what's going on, I think it's important, and the fact that they're having these conversations, but also the perception that that shirt made. Because off the back, it just came off as, you know, it, it implied it was police brutality, but essentially, like he said, it could be a mixture of that and also black and black crimes, which we don't necessarily discuss as much. Mm. And I think within our communities, or we don't address it as much, even though it happens, because it's this whole, like, I'm not going to snitch, like... You know what I'm saying? You see somebody get shot and killed in front of you and you don't say anything, but their family members want to know who killed them so they could get justice, even though you know that it could have been another black person that have done it. So it's like, what the part you play in that also is detrimental. So um, I think that's good. I Honestly, I love to see when the youth are involved and when they, especially when they're involved in politics, because like I said to you in the earliest stages of our episode, like the concepts or perceptions of millennials is like, we don't care and we don't really... It doesn't matter to us, but we do care. You know, that's one of the main reasons why Pierre and I have this show is because we want to have this as an outlet to be expressive about the things that happen, but to see the younger generation kind of take it on another level. And to me, the fact that Tyreek is taking that approach, I don't look at him like he's a regular athlete or football player who's in it to make money and just want to get rich and be done with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could tell that there's more to this dude and he's only in a high school level. So I can only imagine where he's going to be at down the road. And hopefully he gets picked up by the NFL and do an amazing job, and the team will be proud to have him. Hopefully by that time they won't be banning certain players because they want to, <laughs> you know, nail, God forbid, stand up for police brutality, <laughs> i.e. Kaepernick. I'm just saying. Maybe we'll be more, more progressive down the road. Just a little something. Um, one thing I liked about this um, was the fact that, and you brought it up, it talks about the black-on-black -black violence. I feel like a lot of times that can be overshadowed by police brutality. But I like where you're going with that. Continue. And I, I never... I kind of... Because actually one of the fans of the show, we actually were having a conversation. Can and, we repeat that part? The fans of the show? You like the... You like, the <laughs> you're like how you just slid it. Oh. <laughs> we got fans. That's, that's what she said. And that's consistent. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All of that. Sorry. <laughs> no, you meant that. Be who you are. Hashtag be who you are. Um, Bring it back. I'm back. I'm centered. Okay. So, yeah. Um, one of the fans of the show, he actually, me and him were having a conversation, and he said um, he would actually like us to talk more about black-on-black -black crime and violence in the communities because, like I said, that can get overshadowed by talking about police brutality when I don't have specific numbers in front of me, but I think it's safe to say that more people are killed from black-on-black -black violence opposed to police brutality. And just to be more clear, I, I guess I'm more thinking about gang violence. 
because I feel like that plagues a lot of black communities. And I think it's just much easier to point blame at the police and talk about police brutality instead of actually also addressing like the issue in the community in terms of black on black violence, particularly gang violence, which can be very detrimental to the community. I mean, I understand the angle that you're coming at in regards to the black on black crimes and what we're really discussing. I think we, police brutality can be overshadowed by black and black crimes, but that doesn't mean that we don't, we should not discuss it. Um, and also to me, when it comes, I don't like to compare police brutality to black and black crimes because to me, it's just like, there's really no comparisons and I hate when people try to do that because it's like, it negates what the police are doing. Like, oh yeah, but there's black and black crime. So because a couple of us or several of us are killing each other, that makes it right for the police to just come and violate us when they're supposed to protect and serve and kill us too. That's that's what you're telling me. Like, I don't like that angle, but I get where you're coming from. There is black and black crime that exists, especially throughout the U.S. and pocket parts of cities, like for instance, Chicago, um, South Side of Chicago, there is black and black crime that exists. But I also, you know me, I like to take it up a notch. And I like to, when you, when I perceive, or how I perceive black and black crime, I kind of deconstruct it. And like, what is the main root of it? I think gentrification ties into black and black crime, the fact that we're displaced in our communities and we're going into communities where we may not necessarily want to reside in with people that we may not want to be in or be around. And also tying into that, you know, gang violence that exists in certain communities. And also when you think about gang violence, why do people join gangs? Primarily if it's, you know, male-dominated, male you go through and speak to some of those men within the armed gangs, a lot of them, if not, well, not a lot of them, but some of them intentions of joining it is because they don't have a father at home. So you're missing out on a father figure, so you join a gang where you probably have some solidarity and you're getting what you probably thought you could have gotten from having a dad in your home, but let's take it up, take it up a notch. Where's your father? <laughs> like, you know, we live in a society and in some of our homes where being single-parent households are very common, now, if the father's taken out of the households and being displaced into prison systems, which we've talked about in previous episodes with 13 Documentary and Khalif Broder, how some of our black men, black and brown men, are being locked up for, like, trivial things. Not saying some of them are not committing heinous acts and crimes. They are. But we could barely get a conviction with a police officer killing a person of color. So, but you got black men and brown men going into jail for, like, little offenses. And in a sense, you're kind of destroying someone's family in their household. And then, as a result, their son could end up being in a gang. And then look, it becomes a cycle. So the, I look at black and black crime a little different than some folks because I always try to get to the root of it. And I feel like there's many different layers that contribute to it. Like one layer, a big one, is gentrification, which you're like, yeah, it's happening. It is happening. And, you know, uh, we are being displaced out of our communities and it's being transformed and we're meant to be in other areas that we may not want to reside, but that's what we could afford, unfortunately. You know, so when I think about it on that level, I always kind of, I don't really just see it at face value and say, okay, well, this person is randomly walking up to this person just killing them for no reason. Those cases happen, but it happens in the white community too. There's white and white crime, but we don't talk about that because what, some of them ain't getting locked up? Like they're not doing time or it's not publicized as much because it puts them in like a negative category. So I get it. And that is something that I think as a community, we should also talk about more. So especially when I talk about how some of us has witnessed things and it's like, I don't want to be a snitch. That's like the common thread of our communities. But then again, how do you expect some of us to have trust and confidence in the cops 
when we see all the stuff that's going on. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a catch-22, and I get it, and it's something that, you know, we should be, really be delving into. But then when you tie it back to what you said about police brutality, like when you're comparing the numbers, essentially, some of the police brutality cases we know because they were recorded, and they were protests, and they got to that level. They have been, there probably have been more deaths that we don't know nothing about, that was not publicized, was not recorded, so can we really compare police brutality to black and black crime if that's the case? My thing is, and I, I completely get where you're coming from. My thing is, why aren't we not having protests to stop gang violence? Like I think that's something that needs to be addressed as well because it's so easy to just protest because we're using police officers as a target. But again, it's not the only issue that's going on in our communities, and I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate no, as well, so like. At what point are we going to address other issues and attack those issues? I'm like, it's, it's easy to protest yeah. against just police brutality, but that's not the only issue that our community is facing. And I just think, I just, I just find that really interesting that um, it doesn't get addressed as much. You don't see protests about it and sit-ins, whatever the case yeah. may be. And... Yeah. But I, I think there is... No, you're, what you're saying is very valid. Um, and I'm glad you kind of delved in on that aspect. We should be doing more of that. You are right. Um, I think in parts of Chicago, there are activists on the ground and organizations that are combating the gang violence and what's existing. So I there are people doing the work. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if it's being publicized as much. Right. But, you know, it would be nice to see that. But there are people that are doing the work on the ground and actually organizing and kind of eliminating black and black crimes and I think that's why it's important to have after school programs and put funding into those things where it's like you're not hanging out in the street you're not on the block yeah. you're at school you're doing something you're learning or making sure that the youth within urban communities are actually getting jobs for the summer instead of them not having jobs and they have a lot of free time but um, I think to some aspects to your point there are organizations that are targeting in certain aspects where they may not necessarily be protesting, but they're doing certain things in the community that kind of, you know, distracts the youth from actually getting involved in these things and partaking in violence. But yes, it will be nice to see a protest. It will be nice to see us coming together and kind of that be the focal point of the protest. Let's end black on black crime. How can we go about doing it? But like I said, being that there's so many different layers to it, yeah. that's where it becomes com it becomes complicated. Yeah. That's where it becomes a bit, you know, problematic in a sense. But I do understand what you're saying and I think over time we are trying to make changes in, you know, in organizations that are actually doing the work, but I do think more work should be done because it is devastating to see um, some of us lose our lives over things that are very trivial that could have been you know, could have been a conversation. Didn't have mm -hmm. to be a gunshot, you mm -hmm. know? So it didn't have to be a stabbing. It could have just been a simple conversation and kind of moving past that. But hopefully we'll get to see more work done. And all, and that's why I'm really big on us having funding in our communities so that, you know, that we're doing other things that are more productive and actually adding value to our community than actually, like, you know, where people are being on the streets and doing things that really doesn't add value to anything. Yeah. No, and those are some great points. So, I, and I didn't really think about it from that perspective. Like you said, people working in their communities after school program, that yeah. stuff is in place to actually help with those issues as well. So thanks for like making me present to that. Um, something else that I, I kind of struck, struck out to me when reading about this 
reading about Tyreek and his shirt, I thought about you when you like to say, how is the next generation going to be mm-hmm. affected by the actions that you're taking? Um, and I think with athletes like LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, and Colin Kaepernick, just to name a few, they use their stage as a platform to speak speak out against social injustices. And the next generation, like Tyreek, who's only 17 years old, is seeing how some people I'm sure he probably looks up to as well, seeing the actions that they're taking, and he's following suit. So I'm thinking, like, do you think this is going to be more of the norm going forward, seeing young athletes, especially black males, just speaking out against social injustice or being more involved in politics and what's going on in their communities outside of sports? Like, do you see this as a trend that could be going, could be, could be happening going forward? I mean, I think, I don't know if it's going to be a trend because, you know, the fact that Kaepernick was not picked up, that kind of set the tone. Um, so I don't really know if it's going to be a trend. I don't know if it's going to be a trend in football, maybe not, maybe basketball more so because Carmelo, LeBron, um, a lot of them did speak out about stuff that has happened. Even at the SB Awards, I think last year, they opened it up having yeah. talks about police brutality, which is very bold. Yeah. And Melo's been very vocal on things for the past couple of years, which I really like. Um, I think the basketball players are a little bit more free-going with it, and they actually, they, they can be, like, a little bit resistant, in a sense, and they have that, but I, I think with the um, NFL players, to be quite frank, I don't think that's going to be like a common thread. I think if if, Ka- if Kaepernick was picked up again, then it would be like, oh, see, it's not the end of the world. Like, you know, someone's going to take you, you're still going to be a great player, it's not going to have that much of a detrimental effect. Reality is what NFL players do not get paid as much as NBA players. It depends on what on what their positions are. You know way more about NFL than I do. I'm more so on the NBA standpoint. So with that being said, like, a lot of them who ain't barely getting paid much, like, you think they're going to take a sacrifice to be like, oh, I want to stand for something? Like, as much as I would love to see that, as much as I would want to see that, I don't think it is going to happen. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if it's going to even be a trend among the young, younger generation. Um, I was really surprised by Missouri University. I think it was last year when the football players, they they did not, they forfeited a game, or they not forfeited a game, they would not play until they resigned the chancellor because a lot of racist things was happening on the university. He was not doing anything about it. And as a result, they like protested and they did not have a game. And then the dude was resigned within two days. Damn. Like, it wasn't, it may not have been two days, it could have been a couple days, but that's how quick it happened. So that goes to show if you come together and you make those kind of moves, like, they can't move without you. You know what I'm saying? So as much as I would love to see athletes actually come together and it become a trend, I think it's going to be at a very, very slow pace, if that, honestly. In my opinion, I think it can be a trend that you might see happening more especially amongst like the the bigger name players because i just feel like like you said mm-hmm. the next generation is always watching if you're a fan of like star players like Melo, chris paul lebron those guys like you see what they're doing and you can't but help but just be present to that and then with social media 
and just like the political climate that we have now, a lot of these police brutality cases, social injustice, these issues are just so easily findable, tweetable. Like they're just everywhere all around you. I feel like kids are just exposed to it, not the in a way that it wasn't in the past. So yeah. I feel like it's just going to be the natural progression. Like people are just... And if, if not even using sports to talk about how they feel about just injustice or just their opinion about what's going on in the world of politics, I think people just in general now are just speaking out more because the platforms are there, like Twitter, Instagram, podcasts like we're doing right now. Yeah. So I, I definitely see this as a trend that, that will start to take place where athletes and just people in general are just speaking up about politics and just issues that they see in the world that's i don't know that's where i see it going i mean i would love to see that i'm gonna be quite frank with you that's why with the whole tyreek situation and him wearing that shirt i was like wow like yes i want to see more of this but only time will tell you know and i think people's stance on things are like is things gonna really change is it gonna really evolve you know because look who we have as president and lord knows he's not a great example to follow by like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that could be a slightly discouraging for people in terms of wanting hope and change. I mean, granted, we have to, it's good to kind of resist and move forward, but I would love to see that trend. Love to see it. I would love to see more athletes come together and actually unite and do something and be more powerful. But essentially, that's not what's going to happen. I think one of the, another thing that has happened recently, um, Golden State have won a championship. I'm, I'm sure you're aware, being that you're a Cavs fan. I, um, I slightly I'm gonna recall. repeat that again. They won the championship, and um, they're not going to the White House. You know, they all like agreed as a team not to go, and I thought that was big. That was like, okay, I see where you stand. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's something small, but it's something nonetheless. And yeah. I would love to see more of that happening down the road. Is it gonna happen? I'm not sure. Um, I I really don't. I don't have expectations for athletes to black athletes to stand up and say anything in protest to be quite frank because so much has happened and this has been a very small percentage of them that has actually spoken out about it which i think is a damn shame because a lot of them have come from these communities and they know what time it is they know what it's like to be profiled they know what it's like to be treated and be pulled over by cops on several different levels yet still they're not speaking out about what's happening so to me i don't really have expectations for that if it happens though it's cool so i guess be wrong I got one more question for you. What does it mean to be an activist to you? And do you consider yourself an activist? Oh, me? An activist? Mm-mm. Never that. <laughs> I think I'm just passionate. Um, no, I, I do think that I'm an activist. I think a lot of it started when I was in college. As people may have known already, I attended Syracuse University. Yes, one of the best universities out there. Um, I would say that some of my activism started prior to high school, I mean, prior to college, but it really developed and kind of just, I kind of ran with it in college. College allowed me to have a voice and how to utilize it. Um, so to go back to your, your question, I do think I'm an activist. I really do think I am one. And I would like for people, and you know how I know that I'm one too, because of course I'm involved in, well, I speak out a lot about political things and I'm very vocal and I've attended protests um, in terms of Ramali Graham, Eric Garner, um, everything of that sort. So I've done work around that and had conversations and did work with the youth. So to my point, I do think I'm an activist, but 
it shows more how people perceive me and I feel like everyone around me is like, you're an activist. Kiana's like the poster child of an act because the way I am, the way I am and the way I carry myself. But yeah, how about you? You consider yourself an activist? Mm -hmm. To be honest, I don't know what what the definition of an activist is. We should we should look that up. But <laughs> <laughs> um What? <laughs> Yeah, so why while you're looking up the definition? Oh my god. I, I guess I guess I could say You want me to Google this like real life? Yeah, we're live. Jesus. Um, I think I think I could I would say yes to an extent because I've always I've always seen like in the black community like just the poverty, broken homes, things we talk about all the time. And even from being a young kid, I always said I wanted to work, I wanted to become rich so I could make a difference in the educational system to help people of color learn how to manage their finances. Because I was always big on money, how to balance their checkbook, how to build credit, things like that. Because I was always looking about ways to just help people that look like me who were suffering and mm-hmm. didn't weren't as fortunate as me and my family were. Um and even always growing up, like, I mean, not growing up, being at, in work, like, I've always got along with everyone. I feel like that's been one of the traits that helped me be successful in all my different walks of life for the careers that I've been in. But I've always just been a people person, connect with people really well. But I always made, like, I always, I would try to go out of my way to just help people of color, like, especially if they were new to the company, I would like kind of teach them the ins and now help them understand how to navigate the workplace and basically just I want to help them be in a position to succeed and there's been times where that didn't work out whatsoever and these people might have been gone or let go but I've always taken pride in like I've always been a helper of people like sharing whatever knowledge I have but knowing when I see a person of color I, I definitely try to go a little above and beyond to try to support them in any way that I can. So, I... well, since we're on the topic, according to dictionary.com, since you had me Google it, an especially active, vigorous advocate of a cause, especially a political cause. They use a lot of especially in the definition, but that's essentially what it is. So you're an activist. Are you, are you okay with that? I feel like I don't, I don't, outside of this podcast, I never really spoke out about political issues. But I mean, it's a start. I mean, in the work that you're doing on this podcast and having these conversations and having viewers actually take into consideration what you're saying and, you know, kind of holding on to your words and how it's valid to their point in life, I think it's important. And I think in some aspects, you probably was an activist prior to this podcast and certain issues you discussed with your, your friends that you did not really correlate with being an activist. So I think the thing is with being an activist is that there's no... I mean, yes, we have the definition thing to dictionary.com, but there's no real, like, core, like, to me, a core definition of it where it's it's essential to everyone, like, oh, you're an activist, you're an activist. I think it's what you make of it. You know what I'm saying? I think your involvement and how you view things, I think that kind of aligns with you being an activist. And that's what I like about us being millennials is that I feel like we don't stick to definitions. We kind of create our own or we find ourselves within those definitions and kind of become ourselves in some aspects. I don't know. It's just, 
I do consider myself an activist, but I don't walk around like, I'm an activist, didn't I? Like a badge. It's just like, it's the way I am. It's the way I operate. And I am passionate about these issues that I discuss. Um, I talk about it with my friends, my family, even through social media. Like, I've always been that kind of person because the things that are happening in the world to me, and especially in the U.S., it's just so disheartening that I just can't keep it to myself and not make it an issue. So... That's how I operate. And for me, this in a form of me being an activist is attending protests. I know people think protests could be pointless. I love going to protests. The energy is amazing. And to just see different people from different walks of life coming together for one reason and understanding that justice and equality is, you know, important, which may not be to some people, it's just so meaningful to me. Why are you laughing? I'm sorry. Wow, okay. I didn't I, know that was funny. No, 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 because I was watching this show called The um, the Carmichael Show. It's by... Uh, yeah, no, you're talking about Yeah, so I, I just found out about it this weekend. I was binge watching it. And Is it good? Yeah, I love it. It's by, by comedian Jared Car- Carmichael. And he, they had an episode where they were talking about protesting. Um... Because it's like a predominantly black cast. And they talk about a lot of issues in the black community on the show. But it's a comedy as well. So it's pretty interesting. But during the episode about the protest, um, the the dad didn't want the mom to go out to the protest. Because he was like, when people go out to protest, there's a lot of sexual energy in the air. Because... ain't got nothing to do with it. <laughs> He, he was like, yeah, I just love to see you fighting the power. You out there sweating, yelling. You just, your energy levels are so high. And he was like, he was like, yeah, honey, you better go out there and I'll be waiting for you when you get back. I'll be ready. I, I just thought about that because you were just like, the energy's so high in the building. It ain't no sexual energy. I'll tell you that much. I don't know what kind of protest she going to, but it's definitely not that. But I get what she was coming from. I'm glad it made you laugh. Yes, it's funny. Good show. Check it out. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so yeah, moving on. I love this time of year for many reasons. It's the start of the summer. My birthday's in June. Oh, God. And when I was in school, it was like, it was summertime. It was time to, classes are done. It's time to have fun for like two and a half months and just be young. But now that I'm older, I can't help but see all the kids walking in the city in their graduation gear or on the train going to their graduations and it yeah, always kids adults too exactly in college and stuff like that and definitely the master's program grad school and just, just seeing those people out there it gets get, always gives me a good feeling because it's like i went through that so i know how they must feel like it's a big accomplishment and the reason i'm bringing this up because i just learned that harvard just held its first black commencement and that was like shocking news to me Harvard was established in 1636, and it held its first black commencement over 380 years after its establishment. And to be honest, before this, I wasn't even aware that schools had separate commencement, and I had kind of mixed feelings about it. Um, I like the fact that it celebrates diversity. I like the fact that you got to celebrate your accomplishments amongst peers who make up a minority in the school, but I feel like it separates people based on their skin color, which I never agree with. I always think it's about unity, coming together, being one. How did you feel about it, Key? And 
Um, I, I was really surprised that they had their first um, black graduation. After all these years, they've been, you know, they've been up since, what, 1636, and it's just like, shit, when did they first have their first black person? That's the real question. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm saying, though, let's keep it a hundred. Um, I was really surprised by that, but I was like, yes. Um, you didn't have that experience. I attended Syracuse University. That's my um, alma mater. Um, and we had black graduation when I graduated in 2011, Shout out to class 2011. Yeah, boy. Um, it was the best graduation I've ever been to. Ours was in Hendricks Chapel in our school, which is, I mean, to the public is big, but to us who attend the school, it's like, okay, it's kind of small, but it's a big, it's a big church. I'm not going to lie. Um, and compared to all the other buildings on campus, it seemed relatively smaller, but we had our graduation in there. The energy was just, it was everything. It was just we, I think we, we came into um, I Am The Greatest by R. Kelly. And I was very emotional during the black graduation. I cried because we're, you're in a predominantly white institution. And from day one, you are constantly reminded that you are a black person on campus. And as much as Syracuse try to portray themselves as being diverse... There are levels of segregation, you know, cliques stay within their cliques or within their people, Asians with Asians, Hispanics with Hispanics, Africans with Africans, like, you know, every kind of have their pocket parts. And granted, yes, we were diverse with certain aspects, but then there was levels where there was segregation. There was several times or several occasions where I was like the only black person in a class. And that's really hard to deal with because it's like, you know, you got to say something in the classroom. You want to speak up. You don't want to be that person that is really quiet. And then you want to sound educated when you speak because you don't want to come off like, oh, you could tell she's from the Bronx, like type joint, or like she hood or whatever the case may be. So you want to speak eloquently, even though some people portray that as you speaking white, which I hate that because there's no such thing. It's talk about, it's, it's about you speaking proper or eloquently, not necessarily you speaking like you're one particular race. Which to me is, I hate when people say that. Um, so that was challenging on many different levels. So you're constantly reminded that, you know, you're not really, you're not expected to finish on time and graduate with a degree. And a lot of us came from, a lot of, some of us that attended Syracuse University came from, we were the first generation to go to college like myself. So it's, you have that pressure so to, to finally make it with the people you came in with and they all look like you and it ain't no look to the left, look to the right. I mean, there was a couple look to the left, look to the right. Some people wasn't there, but it's just that we made it. We graduated. We're here, you know, and then our families are here. And it's just that feeling is amazing. And granted, we had, I mean, it was a long graduation week and we had like two days. And we had the big main graduation was everybody in the dome. And then it had like, Every college had their parts. I would have to say black graduation was hands down my favorite part of graduation weekend. And um, one of my peers gave a phenomenal speech. Her name was Jessica Santana during our graduation. She, my mom was like, I loved her speech. Like, loved it. I didn't even think my parents was paying attention. And then she was like, I loved her speech because she talked about, you know, even with that. You know, it was a black graduation, but it was there was not a lot, a lot of Hispanic people there. She was like one of a couple of them there, and she even said in her speech, like, "There should be more of us here. We are black," and they weren't. So that dynamic within itself was like, "Wow," you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Oh wait, wait, you're saying that she said more of the 
Hispanic students should have been should have been the, at the black uh, graduation. Oh, so they right. chose not to come. They okay. didn't come out. So because it was like a black grad, but this is like you're black, so you should have been here too. But to me, aside from that, her speech was phenomenal. I love Jessica Santana, by the way. Um, it was just a great. It was that experience in that moment. I can't. I really can't put it into words. The people who were there and who have ever experienced a black graduation, they would definitely know. Like, yo. This is it's just a different kind of experience because it's like I was expected to fail and here I am. I made it. I graduated from this prestigious university or what have you. I got a degree and I've made it, you know, so it says so much within itself. And the fact that Harvard is just not having is like about several years late, but I'm happy for them. And I think it's I definitely think it's something a tradition that should continue over the years. I, I get that we're trying to be more diverse and we all need to come together and sing Kumbaya, but that ain't happening. And being a person of color, primarily a black person in a predominantly white institution, it's a lot. Like, it gets you mentally, um, psychologically, and emotionally because you are reminded every day in some aspects, whether it's through your professors or through your peers, that you are not meant to be here and you're not meant to make it this far. You're not meant to graduate and get a degree and be educated. You're kind of meant to be a statistic, and you're reminded of that. You may not agree with it because you're turning your neck and breaking it, and I definitely want to know what you have to say, but I'm just speaking from my personal experience and people who have this shared experience that attended my school. What you got to say, Pierre? <laughs> I know you got something to say. Um. So that sounded amazing. And but. no, no, no. I thought it was great. Like just the way you described it, the mm-hmm. speech, I think that sounds dope. I, w- I wish I, I could have got to attend that. Cause like you said, you had the graduation with the entire school mm-hmm. and then you also had this subset graduation. So you got the best of both worlds. That's lit. Um, I was just thinking about just for the way I grew up, both of my parents, um, they were the first ones to go to college in our family. Mm-hmm. But so, like, going to college and getting my degree, that was always, like, it wasn't even, like, a second thought. It was, like, my parents did it. That's the only thing they talked to us about. Yeah. Like, we got to go to school, get our diploma, then go to college, get our degree. So, me, when I graduated high school, when I graduated college, like, it was, like, it's not a big deal. Like, everyone was, like, oh, my God, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. And I'm, like... What I I didn't see the big deal because I was yeah. like this is what I was told to do mm-hmm. I was this was expected this wasn't like anything that I didn't think was gonna happen and I was like I was doing that neck thing before because I don't know I, my school Brooklyn College was predominantly um, a white school but I don't know I didn't I didn't feel like. I was reminded that I'm another statistic or I wasn't expected to graduate on time. So I don't know. I just I just found that interesting that you said you got that experience from going to the school because I me personally I ha- I didn't have that experience at all. I normally in class I was usually one of the smarter kids in the class. I always got good grades. Mm-hmm. So me graduating, me doing well was just expect I expected that for myself. Yeah. So I think I just think it's kind of interesting because you could think about like the dynamics with families raising their kids. Like if you have that self confidence and you have that, like you can instill that into your kids, what you're expecting of them, what they're capable of. I think it it can kind of um, 
fight against those feelings that you got from your school. I kind of want to hear, if you don't mind, share like some some things that made you feel that way, like you were a statistic or they didn't expect you to graduate. But I don't know. I just think if you if we arm our kids going into school and life in general, what's out there, what you expect of them and what they're capable of, it might be able to kind of like disarmor the that outside noise. I don't know. I just... No, I think what you're saying is valid. I mean, in my household, my parents did not go to college. Um, so I'm like the first generation among my siblings to go to college and even my cousins to attend college. Um, it's a lot of pressure because you're coming from a family who has high expectations of you becoming this person. You're going to be successful. You're going to be great. You're the smart one. You're the go-to. And then when you go to a college like Syracuse, Syracuse is a big school. It's a big campus. And, you know, you're coming into college, and some of us, you know, did not come from great high schools. Luckily, I went to a good high school. I went to Cardinal Spelman, so I went. That was a pretty good high school, in my opinion. Um, But I felt like I wasn't really prepared for college as a freshman. Like, my freshman year, you know how the workload is and the essays. You got essays on top of quizzes on top of midterm and a final and then a pop quiz, all like, bruh, like, all going on simultaneously, you know what I'm saying, so, you know, having, I felt like coming in, I wasn't fully prepared, and also, luckily with my school, we had a Wellesland program, which I love, because it really was a program set in stone to monitor and assist primarily people of color coming into the school, and kind of setting up in terms of time management, how to, time management was a very big deal, and kind of, and we had, like, a lot of workshops around, like, etiquette and stuff like that and how to get jobs like it was very helpful if I didn't have that program in my school I don't think I would have been half the woman I am now I don't think I would have been successful in law and not law school successful in college because I had that foundation I had an advisor um who was on me he did not play you know what I'm saying his name was Buckley by the way shout out to Buckley but his thing was like, what's going on with your grades? Shout out to Buckley's Cough Medicine. <laughs> you are mad that they're not, they're barely <laughs> selling in the U.S., any, by the way. So I'll let you know, it's not as strong as it used to be. But let me bring it back. Um, yeah, so his concern with me was, what are your grades looking like? And I didn't have that. I didn't have someone who was like, what's going on with your grades? Like, you know, and when you don't have that, that makes a world of a difference because it's like, I'm not really held accountable. Yeah, and right. I was concerned about being a well-rounded student. I wanted to be involved on campus, um, being part of organization, which has helped me tremendously subsequent college because now I know how to be a leader. I know how to communicate with people. I know how to delegate. You know, I've learned those skills. And it's funny because when you're at college and you're doing these these little small things, you think they don't make a difference, but I'm going to keep it 100. Coming out of college, I feel more prepared going into certain positions and the things that I do in my life and projects I take on because I've had those preparation skills and I've learned, I made my mistakes in college and how to talk to people, how to challenge them with certain things. I'm still learning, by the way. Because <laughs> no, I see your eye roll. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. For putting that <laughs> I'm still learning. I you got, no shade. You guys may not know, Kiana can be a little aggressive sometimes. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> anyway. And you look nice today. Well, thank you, honey. You too. But back to the program. But the thing is, like, I felt. To kind of go back on your point, like, why did you feel like you were not meant to be, like, you were not meant to succeed? Well, like, going into college, being for one, being the only one in a classroom, you might think, oh, that's light. No, it's not light, because you represent your culture. As much as you think you're not, you are. 
So what you say and what you do matters. You don't you don't want to be the person that talks way too much, but then you don't want to say be the person that doesn't say anything. You know what I'm saying? And it does make a huge of a, it makes a hell of a difference. I remember going into one of my classes. They were like we were having discussions, and it was like a social studies class. And then it was like you know most of the females in the class was just like, oh yeah, I had a nanny growing up, and how they nanny raised them. And I was like, I did not have a nanny. I had a mother, I had a father. <laughs> they worked two jobs. I had a babysitter, yes, on some days if my parents could afford a babysitter, but it wasn't, I wasn't raised with a nanny. Like, I didn't know anyone else besides, like, that That wasn't my lifestyle. Like, you know what I'm saying? Both my parents had to work. No one could stay at home and watch so proper all day. Like, it was real life situation. So it was like, okay, so we different right there. I think one of the instances, too, when I felt like, okay, this wasn't where I felt like I was really challenged the most was one of my freshman classes, and I think I mentioned it to you where we were talking about slavery and the professor, she was a white woman. She was talking about slavery and we were talking about how, you know, black women who were enslaved were raped by their slave owners or whatever the case may be. And this one white girl was like, you know, I understand that rape is wrong, but however, even though like black women were raped, at least the child turned out to be a mulatto. So they got to reap the benefits. Cause you know, when their child was a mulatto, yeah, she said that in class. And when I tell you, I was about to jump across the room and be like, are you serious right now? And do you know what that feeling is like? Because I'm sitting there, I want to say something, but the part of me that I want to react is the part from the Bronx. So I'm just like, hold on, what? What? You didn't just say that. So I really want to react in a way where it's like, I'm going to be ratchet. But then I was like, I can't be ratchet because I'm the only black person in this class. Because they're going to look at me like, oh, she ghetto. Anyway, she's not even meant to be here. So I'm sitting there like, okay, cool. How am I going to tackle this? When I finally figure out what I'm going to say and say it in an eloquent way so I sound educated, the professor seen a look on my face and she switched the topic. Damn. You didn't get to respond? I didn't get to respond. I didn't get to say And that was my moment. And let me tell you something. That was a defining moment for me in college because ever since that day, I said, you better not be quiet again. Mm. Say something. Don't sit back. And just make them say things, and then you think, and they think it's okay. You gonna teach somebody someday, and so those are instances that I've had where I felt like, okay, well, this is when I felt like, well, I really don't belong here because this, I didn't feel like I was a part of the conversation, and yeah. I felt like as a professor, she did a very piss poor job because she should have teased it out more and be like, oh, she should have challenged her. She didn't challenge her, and to me, it was like, really. Like, we, we gonna sit here and have this conversation. You're not gonna challenge what she said, and then you're gonna switch the topic. Never addressed it. We never went back to it another day. And that was one of the cases I had you know, there. So, there were times where I had felt where it was like, this wasn't for me, or maybe I don't belong here, because I was, like, in a predominantly white institution, and I was reminded of that each and every day. And I wasn't the only one going there that felt that way. And it's, it's understandable. You had a different experience. Everyone has a different experience when they go to college. I'm not expecting you to feel the way I do and be like, oh, I felt marginalized too. And then you're going to be thinking about it tonight. Well, I had this one incident. Like, it's not that. But holistically, my experience there, there were times I felt like, and there were times I felt like I couldn't finish college. Cause I was like, it's just too much with the workload. And I wasn't prepared. And I didn't know. And I remember... I told my mom, mom was like, nah, you got it. I said it to her my freshman year, and then when I called her my senior year, I was like, I don't know if I can. She was like, you tell the same thing to me your freshman year, now you're about to, you a senior about to graduate. And I was like, no, you're right. I didn't even know you remember that conversation. So moms be knowing. But 
I, I say that to say, like, we all have different experiences in colleges that we go to, which is understandable. Whether me and you, we both went to predominantly white institutions, but you didn't feel that way. There were times I did. Luckily, we both made it out and we graduated and got degrees, but it can be discouraging. I'm not going to lie to you. It can be. So that's why I think, like, black graduation is important and it was the best experience I had. And I think it's a tradition that should continue. That's my stance on it. The biggest takeaway I got from all of that was I'm like annoyed that I, you didn't get to respond. Because <laughs> I, I know how you could get it. You know I, me. I, I kind of wanted to hear how you were going to put it. <laughs> you know how I get. Damn. That would have been clapback season. You know, but you know what? When I look back on that experience, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. That was the day Key was born. That was the day died. I was born. Like, I kid you not. I remember I told one of my best friends after that, she's like, you should have said something. And it's something that sat with me for like a couple days, several days. Even going back to class, I look at the girl like, I can't wait for you to say some other shit, boy. Because I was waiting for her to say something random and crazy. But that day really woke me up. And because of that, no I pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. You're right. It prepared me for when I went into my um my classes because I always kept in mind that whole motto that you will gotta work twice as hard to be considered half as good and that kind of like set it in stone for me that conversation it was like an element of that for me mm-hmm. and it's like I always went into classes being prepared or ready to clap back and be like okay so someone said something I'm gonna challenge it it was to the point that professors would look at me like okay what's Kiana gonna say or one of them one of my great one of my favorite professors is Dr Cardi and she will always look at me expecting me to say something as a rebuttal. And I always did. So that has encouraged me to be more vocal and to speak out about things. It's unfortunate how it played out. But I don't know if, if that incident did not happen, would I have been as vocal in all of my other classes in the way I am? Maybe, maybe not. But it really, it really woke me up. So, yeah. You should find her on Facebook and write her a message. I'm not going to do that. It's not even that deep. She <laughs> said what she said. She probably forgot about it or whatever. She's still probably staying in her stance now that we got Trump in there. But <laughs> it's like you just don't know. Um, but it is what it is. It was a learning experience. Yes. So that's the end of our show, guys. Once again, thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate the support and for our consistent listeners please follow us on instagram at underscore unapologetically underscore different you can find us on twitter at unapologetic two underscores d and you can also search for us on itunes by searching for unapologetically different and lastly send us an email at unapologetically different at gmail.com stay tuned for next week's episode bye